Truth News Network. A sitting president blames the unvaccinated for the outbreak of a virus, but the outbreak is among the vaccinated. A vaccine maker announces their 98% effective vaccine is nowhere near as effective as they claimed, and now booster shots for life. How does this happen? It happens in the absence of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, brings it to clarity with Dan Newman. Isn't that, isn't that cool the way Pete Moss, you can tell when he does these openings and these bumps that uh, he's a strong conservative. He asked the question, how can this happen? <laughs> he's frustrated, folks. He's a conservative and he's frustrated. There are lots of us conservatives in America that are pretty frustrated with the political world that's played out before us. And just when we think it can't get any crazier, guess what happens? It gets crazier. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday. It's a brand new day. Thank God you got today. And did you know this? God promised that he would meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory And he promised that whatever needs we have for what he's called us to do, we either already have the resources necessary or right when it's time for us to initiate those actions, we'll have them. Isn't it good to know (laughs) there's somebody out there that is looking in and really gives a hoot, gives a rip about all the challenges you're facing today. I care. I got to be honest with you. I care for you. Some really good news came out of yesterday here at Truth News Network, and I want to share it with you. Two and a half million people read yesterday's story that was published at Truth News Network. That's by far the biggest ever. And I want to thank those of you who joined us here a long time ago, many of you, and uh, you feel like this is a place where you're comfortable coming, getting information, sharing information that you get here, helping us find facts. Thank you so much, every one of you. Not one of you do I take for granted. And I mean that, I really do. Hey guys, I'm an old folks. I've been around for 68 years. I've been through a lot, seen a lot, but there are a whole lot of things that I still don't know. And many of you are teaching me new things. And as a young whippersnapper, I never thought that was cool. But now guess what? I think it's really cool, (laughs) and I'm fine with my kids and grandkids laughing at me and showing me things that I'm doing wrong or showing me how old I'm acting. I think I told this a few weeks ago. Um, One of my grandsons, who was an athlete, I mean, they're all in everything to do with baseball and football and soccer. Uh, Youngest grandson was watching television on Sunday morning watching the NFL show the pregame show on Fox News, and somebody said something about Terry Bradshaw being the great quarterback, four Super Bowl rings. And my grandson said, Terry Bradshaw played football? (laughs) So our perspectives in our lives are pretty much what we've been through. And many of us haven't been through the same things, the same trials, the same heartaches, the same challenges as others. So let me just say this. I learned a long time ago when I'm talking to somebody or I'm looking in at somebody, maybe on television, maybe on a news show, maybe someone in my neighborhood or in my country club in years past, somebody that's going through stuff, 
Maybe they fail in a big way and it makes the news. What's our first thing that we always do? We look in and say, how could they do that? Or how could they let that happen? Let me just tell you this much, folks. Don't ever look down your nose at someone else. Don't ever think that you're better than anybody else. I don't care who it is. You know why? Anytime you do that, you can bet your bippy there's somebody else that's looking at you with the exact same feelings about their being better than you than you may feel for that person that you're looking at and questioning. It should never be about anyone else. What we are, what we do, should be about you and I. We have enough challenges ourselves. We don't need to bring other people's lives into our lives unnecessarily. And we certainly don't from the judging perspective. What's that old thing, judge not lest you be judged? And the other thing is, you know, don't pull the, the little speck out of a friend or somebody you meet. Don't reach in and try to fix that little speck in their eye before you take the timber, the big log out of your own eye. It's crazy, folks, but believe it or not, there are a lot of things going on in this country right now that we think we know, we understand, we have facts, and so we form our opinions. And typically what happens, those, they just build division between us and them, whoever them are that we've determined they are. Novel idea. Why don't we break down some barriers? Why don't we find commonality? And if we can't find it in politics, if we can't find it in business, if we can't find it in church, if we can't find it in friendship, novel idea. Why don't you stick to yourself for a while and get on your knees and talk to God about it and ask for some divine revelation. If you'll do that honestly and mean it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get some honest revelation. You may not like what you hear, and you better be ready for it. If you're honest, if you're honest in talking that way to God, and you can do that, we all can do that, you'll get, it may be through circumstances, it may be through something someone else says or something you see, you will get a response, maybe one that you don't like. But if you're truly open-minded, you're going to get a response and probably one that'll help you. Why not just give it a whirl? Come on now. So where are we going today? Uh, we, we haven't talked much about this, this thing going on up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the trial of the um, Kyle Rittenhouse, that alleged murder that happened in Kenosha on the streets last year. Two people died. He shot two people. He shot three people. Two of them died. Horrible situation. He was 17 at the time. I mean, a baby. And his life is in the balance. And there are those on the left that they just pile on everything and everybody that they can even, even if they're not conservatives, but even if they can somehow take some circumstances and just pile them all over whatever conservative they're going after, they'll do it. Now, by the way, this was a riot. This was a city burning, literally, rioting and looting and violence on the streets. And he did shoot three people. 
he came from another town and he brought an AR-15 and he walks the streets and then when the rioting started and people had guns, there was really big time violence. There was a lot of brutality, people beating up other people. He was the only one that shot anybody that night. It's easy to pile on and just say, why would this kid do that? Well, that's that's what I would say, and that's what I said. And folks, just because he brought a gun, and just because he shot three people as bad and as horrendous as that is, and we can all say, if he had only not had that gun, if he'd only not gone to Kenosha, none of this would have happened. Yeah, none of it would have happened. Look back at the horrors in your life. And you, if you're honest, you can say, that wouldn't have happened to me if I hadn't done this. Or if I had done this, that wouldn't have happened to me. You can't live your life in the now based solely on decisions you made yesterday. They can play and they should play an important role. But never, never think that we can go back and make any difference after something's already been done. It's too late. Who do you think regrets the most about what happened in Kenosha on that night? Do you think it's the parents, the family members of those two men that died because Kyle Rittenhouse shot them? I know they're suffering horribly. They're sitting in that courtroom, I'm sure. I don't know that, but I'm guessing. And they're just hoping and praying that the jury throws the book at Kyle Rittenhouse and he's behind bars never to come out again. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. It's inexplainable. And I understand that. The jury hasn't, by the way, I just got a bulletin when I was saying that. They're about to start their deliberations. There may be a verdict come out before the day is over there on whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be charged. Multiple charges, six of them, one of them was dropped already. But there are five still left unless that's changed this morning and I missed it. Who knows what's going to come out of it, but what we do know is all of the ancillary political showmanship that has gone on day after day, month after month. If you watch any of the mainstream media, before we, we're, going to, we're going to break down a little bit of this, but before we get specific, if you watch any of it, let me tell you what you would think. If you didn't know anything about the case, first of all, Kyle Rittenhouse is a white guy, and he's an angry right white guy. And according to the U.S. president, Joe Biden, who doesn't have a clue, he has twice called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. I, in my wildest imagination, I cannot even fathom how any of Joe Biden's predecessors in the White House would have ever said that about someone. Joe said it twice publicly. He's never met Kyle Rittenhouse. He doesn't know any more about Kyle Rittenhouse than I do. And I've just gotten what I know about Kyle Rittenhouse from watching and listening to him and reading. And reading both sides of that argument. The second thing that you would think is he shot and killed black people. None of that is true. <laughs> That's what people need to understand. 
None of it is true. Nobody's perfect, folks. Kyle Rittenhouse is anything but perfect. But the two people he shot aren't perfect either. So if you watched any of this trial yesterday, I looked in for a little of it. And amazingly, right when it popped up on my TV screen, I saw the prosecutor, the prosecutor in the case, standing in the middle of the courtroom with Kyle Rittenhouse's AR-15. And he's holding the AR-15 up to his shoulder, the butt of it up to his shoulder. He's got his left hand on the forearm piece, and he's aiming the gun. He's got his finger on the trigger. I'm serious, folks. I knew. Do you know who Dana Lash is? Um, She's a Texan. She is a former spokesperson for the NRA. And she is a gun advocate, Second Amendment proponent. She's a gun shooter herself, is a concealed carry person, and is very outspoken about all things to do with firearms, the Second Amendment. And I knew when I saw them, it just popped in my head. I bet she pops up in the news about that, and she did. When Thomas Binger and James Krause, uh, they are the prosecutors of defendant Kyle Rittenhouse, and they were trying to show that they know what everything should be known of what and how to use firearms. Dana Lesh said, Binger, He's one of the attorneys, proved his need for some basic firearms training when he put that gun up, like I just told you, that AR-15, and he waved it around the room. And he just violated the fundamental premise that you begin everything with about a gun. When you see a gun, it doesn't matter if, if it's yours. If you had it 10 minutes earlier, you're supposed to always treat it like every time, like it's loaded. And you never point a gun at anyone unless you intend to pull the trigger. So here's a prosecutor, and he's got a guy on the witness stand that shot and killed two people, three that he shot, two of them died, and he's standing in a courtroom full of people, including a judge, with this gun up to his shoulder, and when he picked it up, he didn't look to see if it was loaded, which is the cardinal rule. Dana Lash went crazy. Um, she uh, she likened the two prosecutors to Will Ferrell and John C. Riley's characters in that 2008 film Step Brothers. I don't know if you saw it. It's hilarious. And, of course, any movie that Will Ferrell in is going to be a riot. She said, after some of the arguments I've heard from what I'm calling Brennan and Dale of the Step Brothers law firm, that, of course, is Thomas Binger and Jane Krause, the prosecutors, Binger, she said, flags the entire courtroom and jury. And to be honest, I'm surprised that a bailiff or a state trooper in the courtroom didn't intervene and jump on him and throw him to the ground or at least take the weapon away from him. Something else in the closing argument that was interesting to me, she said, Krauss, a.k.a. Del Doback, oh, there's no left or right-handed firearms, he said, and actually... There is right-handed and left-handed firearms. Last went on to say she believes that Rittenhouse, who's charged in the deaths of those two guys, Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaum, 
that he showed better firearms discipline in courtroom exhibit videos of that night in August last year than these two prosecutors trying the case have. She added that the media and political left have tried to make the case about race. Race. That's what I just told you a minute ago. It's almost like Kyle Rittenhouse, a white supremacist, so the three people he shot had to be black or people of other colors because everybody's making it about race. In fact, what it's about, folks, is a white guy who was a minor then, and he shot three white men. Lash said, all I saw was a white convicted pedophile who got out of a mental institution and decided to go to a riot and help burn down black-owned businesses, another white domestic abuser whose charges included strangulation and kidnapping, and another white criminal who was carrying a firearm, she said. And she's just described all three people that Rittenhouse shot. So Kyle's attorney, Mark Richards, maintained in court filings from July that Rosenbaum, who he shot, was convicted of having sex with a minor in Arizona in 2002 and was prohibited from possessing firearms. All three of those guys. Now that doesn't justify Kyle Rittenhouse shooting. That's not what this is about. What Dana Lash is pointing to is how over the top, and we should never be shocked when our mainstream media goes over the top about anything. In fact, we should be shocked if they don't go over the top about anything that they can weaponize against conservatives of every ilk, which is what's going on. It's insane to deal with, but we've got to deal with it. So the White House, where are they on all of this? Well, Here's what Jen Psaki had to say. What I can reiterate for you is the president's view that we shouldn't have, broadly speaking, vigilantes patrolling our communities with assault weapons. Psaki said she would not specifically address an ongoing trial. (laughs) Vigilantes patrolling our communities with assault weapons but I'm not talking about an ongoing trial. (laughs) Yeah, right. But indicated, she did, that Biden was not supportive of individuals defending their communities. And I think we all know that. She reacted to the Rittenhouse trial. And uh, this all came about, and I'm going to let you hear the back and forth right now yourself, between Jen Psaki and Peter Ducey of um, Fox News. And of course, There's a whole lot more in the conversation. There always is when Peter Ducey is asking the questions in the White House. Listen to this back and forth between Saki and Ducey. And just something tied to an ongoing court case. Why did President Biden suggest that Kyle Rittenhouse on trial in Kenosha is a white supremacist? So, Peter, what I'm not going to speak to right now is anything about an ongoing trial, uh, nor the president's 
past comments. Uh, what I can reiterate for you is the President's uh, view uh, that we shouldn't have, broadly speaking, uh, vigilantes patrolling our communities with assault weapons. We shouldn't have opportunists corrupting peaceful protests by rioting and burning down the communities they claim to represent anywhere in the country. As you know, closing arguments in this particular case, which I'm not speaking to, I'm just making broad comments about his own view. Um, there's an ongoing trial. We're awaiting a verdict. Beyond that, I'm not going to speak to any individuals or this case. But the president has spoken to it already. And his mom now, Kyle Rittenhouse's mom came out saying that the president defamed her son. And that claims, uh, she claims that when the president suggested her son is a white supremacist, he was doing that to win votes. Is that what happened? I just have nothing more to speak to in ongoing case uh, where the closing arguments were just made. Go ahead. You want me to interpret her? <laughs> What it means is it's a typical process from those on the left who take always a default position of superiority in every way. Oh, we understand better. We're enlightened. You're down there in the dirt groveling. We're up high. We're in power. We're in the White House. And we know far more than you can imagine. How dare you try to pin me down? about something somebody else said. Oh, by the way, Jen Psaki, you are the spokesperson, the spokesperson, the spokesperson, however you want to pronounce T-H-E, of Joe Biden, who was in the White House as the president. And of course, do they really think that we don't see exactly what happened? Oh, I'm not going to comment on an ongoing trial. You know, one about vigilantes going around cities, and I'm not going to comment about it, but I will tell you what the president feels about this. He loves little children and little birds and wants everybody to be free and healthy. <laughs> it's insanity. It's insanity. It's worse than that child's story. The emperor has no clothes. You've heard it over. We've, we've, I've actually read it to you here at TNN Live. <laughs> about the emperor the, it, this whole far left I could folks I could pull up audio file audio bite after bite from yesterday's news primarily from leftists now who would that be CNN MSNBC ABC CBS NBC News and a bunch of people on talk shows I could pull up sound bites and you would scratch your head and say, how in the heck do they get that out of this trial? If anybody is familiar with the facts in the thing, I got to be honest with you. I've, I've, uh, I actually invited Congressman Mike Johnson to come on and give us an explanation. He is a constitutional attorney. He couldn't do it. His uh, schedule prevented it today. But I wanted him to weigh in and give you the, uh, the conservative um, second Amendment hold uh, opinion upholder from a U.S. congressman on exactly what all this means because we're we're sucking eggs trying to get the truth out of all this thing. And sadly, I'm going to say something that I hope I'm dead wrong, but I have a gut feeling. I have a gut feeling that no matter the the outcome, no matter what the jury comes up with, there's going to be rioting. I think there are people that they're there to riot, not so much because of the outcome, but just because it's an opportunity to riot 
and burn and pillage. Now, what about those guys? You know, there were three. Three got shot. Two of them died. One didn't. Gage Grosskrutz is the 28-year-old survivor of that shooting. So here's a question. Were prosecutors politically driven for holding Rittenhouse accountable for murder as he killed two men and injured this guy, Grosskrutz? The right-wing media outlet, the Gateway Pundit, uncovered at least two charges against Grosskrutz that were conveniently dropped by these prosecutors, the two we just told you about, just days before he stepped out on the far-left stage and became the star witness against Rittenhouse. On January 21st, this year, Grosskrutz was arrested for his second operating while intoxicated, and a complaint was filed against him. Yet on October 28th, just days before the Rittenhouse trial kicked off on November 1st, you do the math, three days, that charge was dismissed. Grosskrutz was also cleared of one other charge of refusing to take a blood alcohol test during the same day. So question is, was the state, the state of Wisconsin, the prosecuting, were they tampering with a witness or was that all above board? I mean, it just happened that three days before the case started, the star witness got criminal charges dropped against him. So on November the 8th, Grosskrutz admitted in front of the court that he was taking a gun out while following the teenager, Rittenhouse, thinking he was an active shooter. And then Rittenhouse fired back. That's according to the New York Times. You know, very, very honest, far-left news media. It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him with your gun, now your hands down, pointed at him, that he fired, right? That was defense lawyer Corey Chirofsky asked Grosskrutz. And Grosskrutz, he agreed with the defense attorney. Nonetheless, Grosskrutz denied that he aimed the firearm at the teenager nor that he was chasing after the teen, stressing the young man, attempted to murder me. Now, when did he do that? He did that the next day. In court, under oath, Grosskrutz agreed and stated, yes, that's the way it happened. He was pointing his gun at Kyle Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse. On the witness stand, he said, I was never trying to kill the defendant. In that moment, I was trying to preserve my own life, but doing so while taking the life of another is not something I am capable or comfortable doing, he said. Grosskretz went on three different news shows yesterday, and he recanted what he testified under oath. He said, I wasn't pointing a gun at him. You can look at the video of the exact moment it happened. Not only was he pointing his gun at Rittenhouse, he was rushing forward towards Rittenhouse. They both had guns. Rittenhouse fired. It didn't, obviously, it didn't kill 
Gage Grosskreutz. He's playing the political game. Closing arguments yesterday against Rittenhouse. I watched him. Best summed up for the jury as, never mind, don't believe the video evidence or independent witnesses introduced during this trial. Believe this alternate version of events that we're telling you right now instead. I mean, I got to be honest with you. When I saw through little bits and pieces in the trial, I couldn't believe what these prosecutors were doing, were talking about in their closing remarks. The jury has two options in this case. It can acquit Rittenhouse based on scores of video evidence and also scores of testimony that show and say Rittenhouse shot three men who were chasing him and trying to get his gun. Or it can convict him based on a weird story that contradicts the state's own witnesses and that requires the jurors to believe An 18-year-old Rittenhouse, for no obvious reason, felt like shooting somebody, all white men, that night last August. So what did they say? Well, during summations yesterday, Assistant DA Thomas Binger claimed that Rittenhouse was in Kenosha at the time because, quote, we all knew someone like the defendant who enjoys the thrill of telling people what to do without the courage or honor to back it up. This is the baby-faced then 17-year-old juror saw on video walking around that night with a medic kit calling out medical to protesters on the scene who might need assistance and friendly, friendly, friendly so rioters would know he posed no threat to them. Binger then described Joseph Rosenbaum, age 36, as having done no wrong that evening of rioting before he was hunted down by a bloodthirsty Rittenhouse. But here's what the jurors saw. They'd already seen in video Rosenbaum antagonizing other people, lighting a dumpster on fire, and repeatedly yelling at someone, shoot me, inward. It was Rosenbaum who witnesses said was yelling at bystanders that he would kill them. It was Rosenbaum who someone described as a babbling idiot. And it was ultimately Rosenbaum who then chased Rittenhouse into a dark parking lot before finding himself at the wrong end of an 8-yard 15, and who, again, according to a witness, tried grabbing the barrel before he was shot. In this case, folks, the overwhelming evidence showed that Rittenhouse shot someone who was after him. After that, he headed in the direction of the police as a mindless mob of rioters gathered to take him down. Two more men made attempts at taking Rittenhouse's gun, with one of them striking him over the head with a skateboard while he was down on the ground. The other one pointed his own gun at Rittenhouse. This prosecuting attorney, Binger, is insisting to jurors in his closing that they disregard the video evidence and disregard his, Binger's, own witnesses. They should instead trust in his personal assessment that Rittenhouse is a person who, quote, enjoys the thrill of telling people what to do without the courage or honor to back it up, whatever that means. If you told me Binger was given this case as part of a humiliating, hazing ritual of his uh, 
Um, his social group that he's a part of. I'd believe that better. I'd even be relieved to know that he followed through with the case against his will and isn't actually this stupid. (laughs) It's possible the jury, nervous about more rioting than an acquittal could bring, will choose Binger's storyline. It's possible. God, I hope they don't. If they do, it will mean, though, they followed the prosecutor's suggestion to set aside what they saw on video and heard from the prosecutor's own witnesses. So, Dan, if if all of this is what you're telling us is true, why are you worried about rioting and violence in the streets? Here's why. Representative Cori Bush, Democrat from Missouri, she yesterday... She got up and she believes that if 18-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse gets acquitted on the grounds of self-defense, white supremacists will be emboldened to shoot at Black Lives Matter protesters. And she repeated the lie that the Barack Obama Department of Justice led by Eric Holder debunked in a massive investigation. What lie? that Michael Brown was murdered at the hands of a white cop. She repeated that yesterday when she was throwing out this drivel. She falsely claimed that white supremacists in Ferguson, Missouri, would literally hide up in the hills and start callously shooting at protesters in Kenosha. She said that when we marched in Ferguson, white supremacists would hide behind a hill near where Michael Brown Jr. was murdered and shoot at us, she said. They never face consequences. If Kyle Rittenhouse gets acquitted, it tells them that even seven years later, they can still get away with it. Black Lives Matter activist Ohun Ashi backed up what Congresswoman Cori Bush was claiming. This is facts, she said. I vividly remember hiding under porches in Canfield, as shots were fired at us. No one came to help us. We would come from under porches using cars as shields in between gunshots just to make it out. When further pressed for comment, a spokesperson for the Bush campaign, Cory Bush, said that white supremacists opened fire on the congresswoman while providing no specifics. While on the front lines of the Ferguson uprising, Congresswoman Bush and other activists were shot at by white supremacist vigilantes. The question we need to ask is why white supremacists feel empowered to open carry rifles, incite violence, and put black lives at risk across our country. There's just one little problem with Cori Bush's uh, allegation. It never happened. (laughs) It never happened. According to Ferguson Police Chief Frank McCall Jr., who, by the way, is an African-American, according to him, the department hasn't a single record of such an incident. The only documented incident of the type described by Bush occurred in March of 2015 when two cops forming a security line outside the Ferguson Police Headquarters were shot, causing protesters to flee. Jeffrey Williams, a black man, was later arrested and convicted of the shooting. 
One officer was hit in the shoulder, the other in the cheek. Then St. Louis County Police Chief John Belmar said at the time he believed the officers were targeted, and the shooting brought swift condemnation from a wide range of public officials as well as protest leaders who insisted they repudiated violence. Williams claimed that he wasn't shooting at the cops. He was returning fire at an unidentified person who shot at his vehicle. See, folks, this is one of 435 members of the House of Representatives duly elected by a group of Missourians to represent them. She's one that wanted and screamed and hollered and still does. Defund the police. Defund the police. Police are evil. They're all white supremacists. They are looking for black people to shoot. She just got elected. This last year, she spent $100,000 out of her campaign funds, which members of Congress can legally do. What did she spend it for? Armed security. She wants people in her district not to have police protection while she can spend $100,000 of campaign donations to have armed guards with her 24-7. Must be nice. That's all I can say. It must be nice. Much more to get into today. Don't go away. There's a whole lot more right after this. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water, vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. How to improve your dining room by the Home Depot. New wood floors, new paint on the walls. Sure, you know us for that. But how about a new dining room table, matching chairs, bar stools, how about free and flexible delivery with easy online returns? Now you can explore decor in a whole new way. Save now on furniture. Everything for your home. Everything from homedepot.com. How doers get more done. U.S. only valid through September 7th. Limitations apply. You know what was cool about music back in the 60s? Everything didn't have to you know, make a big impact. Words in it, like that song, Bang, 
a gong. Bang a gong. I've um, I played that when I was a DJ. I've listened to it. I don't know, folks. Kind of a catchy little tune, but not a lot of meat. You know what I'm talking about? There's not a lot you can point to and say, that's a redeeming thought. The father of two young kids that was placed on leave without pay for refusing vaccinations. A restaurant owner who refuses to ask patrons to show their vaccine passes. And a woman whose grandmother died days after getting a Pfizer vaccine were among the speakers at a recent New York City vaccine mandate protest. And guess where it happened? Right outside Pfizer's headquarters. They say she was well enough to come home. They needed the bed for someone who was sicker. And about two to three days later, my grandmother was gone. That was a young healthcare professional identifying herself only as Aggie. The rally was tagged with the slogan, Essential to Expendable, made its way from the Pfizer headquarters to Hudson Yards. Many frontline workers, including firefighters and healthcare workers once considered essential, were in that group. They object to their apparent relegation to second-class citizen status for simply not wanting the vaccine. I understand giving people the choice, but to force it onto people who have been working throughout this entire pandemic, slaving away, taking care of people's sick family members, many of us got sick and many of us got COVID. You know what the irony of all of this is, folks? These people are standing outside on the street in front of Pfizer Corporation. Pfizer Corporation, who has been paid billions of dollars by these same people, in part, of course, but by our tax dollars, billions of dollars for vaccines that we still have very little knowledge of what's in them. All of the questions that are out there that have been being asked for 18 months about them, they're still not answered with facts. Everything we're told about the vaccines themselves, almost without exception, have been later proven to be wrong. Were they wrong when they gave us those explanations? Were they wrong purposefully? Or did they not know? Either answer, folks, is totally unacceptable. These so-called doctors, these experts, never in U.S. history has a vaccine been forced on the American people after very limited human trial and testing. Normal process takes several years. In just months, we had these vaccines jabbed into our arms. Don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. And in the meantime, people are dying from the vaccinations. There's just something not right about this. And there's just debacle after debacle about Joe Biden's mandates that everybody in the federal government and even federal contractors, every employee in those contractors must be vaccinated. Gotta be. The Pentagon. Now, here's a conundrum that I don't think anybody expected. I know Joe Biden certainly didn't when he made the mandate that every federal employee and every 
federal contractor and their employer uh, employees are all vaxxed. The Pentagon, you know, we got 300,000 active members in the military. Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, he said from the very beginning, hey, everybody's got to get vaxxed or you're leaving. So the one part of that process I don't think anybody really thought about, what about National Guard? Now, yeah, these are federally in part funded entities, but they're within states. You have state National Guards. Now, of course, the military has some federal National Guard entities, but the large part of the states. And so Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma, their National Guard sent a notice out there and said, we're not going to force the vaccine on members of the Oklahoma National Guard. Well, the Pentagon yesterday said it has the authority to require members of the National Guard to get vaxxed after the Oklahoma National Guard put them on notice. Pentagon Press Secretary, very speckled pass. I've got a real big question about former Admiral John Kirby's integrity. But he yesterday told reporters that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has the authority he needs to require this vaccine across the entire force, and that includes the National Guard. Kirby later added during a news briefing that it is a, quote, lawful order for National Guardsmen to receive the COVID vaccine. It's a lawful order, he repeated. Refusing to do that absent an approved exemption puts them in the same potential for punishment as active duty members who refuse the vaccine. Now, they're saying all this. Guess what? There are thousands of religious and health exceptions that have been filed across all of our military services. And guess what, folks? The Pentagon has not allowed a single one, not even one. Back in September, DOD said that all uniformed personnel must be vaccinated with varying deadlines for each branch. However, last week on the 11th, the Adjutant General for Oklahoma, Brigadier General Thomas Mancino, wrote in a policy memo ordering that no Oklahoma Guardsmen will be required to take the COVID-19 vaccine, notwithstanding any other federal requirement. Oklahoma commands will continue to process federal vaccine waivers in accordance with DOD policy. Additionally, No negative administrative or legal action will be taken against guardsmen who refuse the COVID-19 vaccine. That's what his memo states. He added in the memo that Oklahoma Governor J. Kevin Stitt had requested Austin for waivers of the vaccine mandate and was waiting for a reply. Mancino, the general, had been appointed a day earlier replacing General Michael Thompson, who had pushed for members to be vaccinated. Warning of consequences if they fail to do that. Mancino's been a member of the National Guard for 35 years, has served as Assistant Adjutant General for the Oklahoma Army National Guard since September of 2019. In that memo, Mancino stated that Stitt, the governor, is the lawful commander-in-chief of all Oklahoma National Guardsmen unless they're federally mobilized under Title X of the U.S. Code. 
Yesterday, Kirby, Admiral Kirby at the Pentagon argued members of the National Guard would not be exempt from this. And he claimed again, Kirby did, the Secretary of Defense has the authority to require these vaccines for all members of the force, including the National Guard. What have I told you was going to happen when Joe Biden first very eloquently again and again said, I don't have the authority to issue a vaccine. I can't do a mandatory vaccine. We're going to trust our local authorities, state authorities around the nation to do just that. We all need them. Everybody needs them. And I'm going to trust people to do the right thing. He said it over and over and over again. And then even when he gave his famous speech and rolled out the actual mandate for vaccines, he was too chicken to do it through his administration He put it on OSHA. And of course, folks, it's been tested across the nation. I don't know how many cases have been filed against the government for it. Federal court, state court, it's all over the place. There is no provision in the U.S. Constitution. There's not one, even for OSHA to exist. And if it existed, there's nothing in the Constitution that allows any department of the federal government to abridge American citizens' right to their own health care. That's constitutional. The, the government didn't ever give it to us, folks. It was ours. We didn't give it to them. This is going to end up smack dab right in the middle of the U.S. Supreme Court. I guarantee you it's going to be there. Here's what I would hope and I pray that the Supreme Court will do. Let's just, let me just do the what if thing with you for a minute. Humor me for a minute. What if it is discovered at some point, hopefully in the near future, we can get the truth about this, but what if it's discovered in the very near future that there are things in this vaccine that are bad for anybody who takes them? And what if we find out that there are deadly, irreversible consequences of getting jabbed? How's everybody going to feel that's just been shoving this down the throats of everybody? I ask that question because it's exactly the same question I've asked here about what if we at some point in our future that we know, we find out, we know beyond any kind of doubt that life begins at conception, not when a baby is born. Now you'll say, I know it. I know it already. I know that's true. I I do too in my spirit. But what if biologically, I think it's probably already been proven, but nobody wants to give the evidence that does that for the obvious political reasons. But what if we find out that when anybody has an abortion, actually they kill a life? How are you? You can't go back and undo it. And if, if there's something in these vaccines that give us a real reason for the almost 20,000 people reported that have died after taking the vaccines, most of them Pfizer, by the way, what if we find out, yep, there was a bunch of poison in there, irreversible things have been uh, put into action and you can't change it? What if what we've been told by some medical professionals, MDs, is that people that are vaccinated are sterile. What if we find out that's true? 
it's going to be too late. Wouldn't it be nice if we just did what we so desperately do so well in the United States in our healthcare system? At least we always have. Americans' life expectancy has grown every year since I've been born. Why is that? It's because of healthcare, it's because of medicine, new discoveries. Our healthcare system has always been full of some really smart people, really committed people, very well educated people. And on the most part, they've been able to um, non politically come up with answers to address questions. And there are problems in the healthcare industry, there always are in every sector of our society travesties of all kinds. I get all that. I'm talking about right in the middle of this whole thing, the substance of it. This process that we're living in, you and I are living in right now, has never happened before in any sector of our society in the United States. It never has. The closest that it has was in World War II. You remember what happened? FDR. He jailed every Japanese person, immigrant that was in the United States on the West Coast and put them in basically a concentration camp. Thousands. Had they done anything wrong? Nope. They were just Japanese. This is different because it's healthcare and I get that, but I'm talking about the top-down totalitarian process of saying you will be vaccinated. Forget about that inalienable right that they all brag about. Joe Biden brags about, you know, that thing. (laughs) It's not given to us by our government, folks. It was given to us by God, and I haven't given mine up. Have you? I've not said, hey, I'm going to turn over my right to make decisions about my own health. I'm going to give that to the federal government. Y'all just tell me what to do. I'm not a people anymore. I'm a sheeple. You just tell me everything to do and everything not to do. I never did that. You didn't either. Nobody has the unilateral authority to do that. I don't care who it is in government. I can tell you this, and I'll cut right to the chase, folks. Regarding a vaccine, if I ever get a COVID-19 vaccine, it's only going to happen in one way. I'm going to be unconscious, either knocked out, or knocked out through medicine and somebody gives it to me, and it will not be with my permission. They don't have evidence that will or has been released to the American people that justifies what they say is the efficacy and the ability of these vaccines, all three of them, and then you throw in AstraZeneca, which hasn't been approved for even emergency use here, It's been used widely over in Europe with some bad results, and that's why I hope our FDA is not allowed it here yet. But nevertheless, unless and until they give us facts, I'm out, folks. I'm out. Do I denigrate somebody that has been vaccinated, that chose to do it? Absolutely not. You've done it because for whoever from whoever, for whatever reason or reasons, you felt like it was something you needed to do. My own son works in a major hospital in Dallas. He and his wife have both been vaccinated. 
Those are choices that we make. I get that. And I'm sure my kids look at me and Marianne, and we've made choices in our life with which they disagree. That's part of that unalienable right that is given to us just because we're American citizens. Sometimes you can have authority to do something, but that doesn't mean it's automatically going to be correct. (laughs) I can tell you a lot of things in my life that I've done that even though I had the okay to do it, just because of who I am, I'm an American citizen and I can do it, I look back and say, boy, I sure wish I hadn't done that. (laughs) And you, if you're honest, you can say the same thing. We're going to get out of COVID world. I don't want to stay here very long, but something new popped up and was brought to me by Eddie Thurman this morning I hadn't seen. Louisiana whitetail deer are now being tested. You're not going to believe this. Tested for what? (laughs) COVID-19. Deer. Louisiana is beginning, we're told, to test white-tailed deer for the presence of COVID-19. You know why they're doing it? After a bunch of white-tailed deer tested positive for the virus in Iowa. I wonder if it's because they didn't social distance or God forbid They went to school not wearing a mask. (laughs) Louisiana Department of Wildlife, their deer program manager, Jonathan Bordelon, says that while testing for other diseases, they decided also to look for COVID-19. And what they found was actually pretty surprising. They found antibodies for the virus within those same samples. Bordelon says the state is now joining with the USDA Wildlife Services They're going to collect blood for testing from white-tailed deer harvested by hunters in Louisiana. It's not known if the deer can transmit the virus to humans, but they have it. Bordelon says that even if a deer is infected with coronavirus, they don't appear to show any signs of it. There have been no cases of deer demonstrating any symptoms of the virus, stated Bordelon. He says it comes as no surprise that deer and other animals can be infected with the virus, but how it's transmitted is the bigger question. The fact that the deer themselves can be infected is less of a surprise, but the route of transmission is still somewhat of an unknown, says Bordelon. So why would deer, why would any deer get COVID? I don't know. But can you picture this? We have a white-tailed deer that's in one of these petting zoos around the state, and they're everywhere. We have one across the river from Shreveport and North Bossier, Cypress Lake. They have deer there. I know they have white-tailed deer there. At least I think they do, unless during the middle of the night some redneck went and (laughs) he brought dinner home. Hey, baby, I got us a white-tailed deer for Christmas. No. He probably got it. The deer probably got COVID just simply because He ignored what his mama told him. You got to social distance and buy jingos. You better wear that mask that I made for you. I know, I know. It's a serious topic, Dan, and you're making a joke out of it. No, I'm not. I'm making a joke out of the fact of what we're facing as humans. (laughs) 
and they are finding COVID-19 in white-tailed deer in Iowa. Maybe that says something about Iowa. Maybe it says more about Iowa than than it does about COVID-19, huh? The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding, rental, and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Fall protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections. Little giant ladders. Custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Delivery everywhere, every day. American Ladders and Scaffolds. We take you higher. We take you higher. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bacon with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. tell you what to think but we give you truth to think about this is tnn the truth news network truthnewsnet.org i'm not going to tell you what to think i'm just going to tell you what i think about that and i don't even do that all the time i bring you what's out there and i just trust you to make your own judgment i mean dad gummit who am i to say what you should or shouldn't do or what you should or shouldn't think I mean, I, I don't think you have the right to tell me that, so I assume you have the same right that I have in that regard. Just whatever it is, folks, let's find out and let's do it. Let's do it together. You know all about Steve Bannon. You hear everything you can imagine. Probably one of the most polarizing political figures in the nation. Maybe right, maybe number two behind Barack Obama. Now maybe number three behind Barack Obama and Joe Biden. No, maybe number four behind Barack, Joe, and Hillary. (laughs) I'm just saying. Well, this January 6th committee, this blue ribbon committee appointed by Nancy Pelosi, she looked at the Department of Justice and the FBI. They had no idea. They weren't finding who was responsible for this insurrection on January 6th this year at the White House. Who was it? The FBI couldn't find people. Forget about Nancy said that the FBI has found and arrested 600 people and charged them in that event, but that's not good enough. 
we're the United States Congress. I'm Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. This is my town. We're going to find out. We're going to bring everybody to justice. And so she put together this committee. And they've been subpoenaing witnesses. And, of course, every witness they bring in after the first uh, puppets that they brought in, those Capitol Police that told the sad stories about the emotional danger and damage that they sustained from these insurrectionists storming the Capitol. They talked about blood and shooting and violence. Well, they didn't. Nancy did. There was only one shooting that day, and it was one of the Capitol Police. An African-American member of the Capitol Police Force shot an unarmed woman from behind, and she died. Ashley Babbitt. Nobody says anything about that and all the other stuff about all these people that were killed in the violence and none of that's true. Forget about that, Nancy says. And so she put her blue ribbon panel together and they started letting the subpoenas fly. And they went after everybody in the Trump administration. Of course, those are the ones they want to get down in front of them, put them under oath and try to crucify them. That's what they do. Look at what they did. Their buddy, Robert Mueller, did two and a half years and at least 40 million taxpayer dollars. Russia collusion. Not only was there no Trump-Russia collusion, we find out there was Russia collusion and Hillary Clinton paid the bill. Her campaign actually created, funded through a law firm to clear the money so nobody could track it back to her. I guess she thought when that law firm sent a bill to Hillary for whatever they termed it, that it wouldn't be tracked. John Durham found it. So they're still after Steve Bannon for his role in the January 6th thing. Well, they sent him a subpoena to come testify, and he thumbed his nose at them. They sent another one. And guess what happened? They went after him in court, and the D.C. court indicted him. And they went and picked him up, put him in handcuffs, took him to jail. And then yesterday he went in, handcuffed, went into the courtroom to hear the charges against him. He came out of that hearing, and I want you to hear what Steve Bannon had to say about this. You see these signs right here and the guys over here saying insurrection and all that? That's what this country's about. It's freedom of speech. They got their opinions. We have our opinions. Okay? Hang on. They have their opinions. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be the misdemeanor from hell for Merrick Garland, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden. Joe Biden ordered Merrick Garland to prosecute me from the White House lawn when he got off Marine One. And we're going to do, we're going to go on the offense. We're tired of playing defense. We're going to go on the offense on this and stand by. They, by the way, by the way, by the way, you should understand Nancy Pelosi took, is taking on Donald Trump and Steve Bannon. She ought to ask Hillary Clinton how that turned out for them, okay? We're going on the offense. Stand by. You should, you should be outraged if he ever faced that possibility as an American. There is nothing criminal about any conduct that occurred in this case. And when we respond to Merrick Garland, we say, apply the, apply the law equally. 
They don't have, who else do they prosecute for invoking executive privilege in a criminal prosecution? Read the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel letters. It's unconstitutional according to their according to their own opinions from some real luminaries, including, by the way, read the Office of Legal Counsel opinion by Eric Holder for the Obama administration, the Fast and the Furious case. This is unheard of to force a, a, a person to uh, violate the invocation of executive privilege. Uh, by the way, I mean, the court, of course, hasn't ruled yet in President Trump's case, in Trump versus Thompson, on whether executive privilege applies. But even beyond that, the Office of Legal Counsel Opinions make clear that it applies to discussions with former government officials, and that makes sense. It makes sense because we often see former officials kept in the loop that the president needs to consult with. And whatever you happen to think the president, President Trump talked about at the time, that's what executive privilege exists for. So that people can speak freely with the president, uh, talk about strategy members and matters, and talk about national security and other important matters. Uh, by the way, by the way, by the way, not just Trump people and not just conservatives. Every progressive and every liberal in this country that, that likes freedom of speech and liberty, okay, should be fighting for this case. That's why I'm here today. For everybody, well, I'm never going to back down. And they, they, they took on the wrong guy this time, okay? They took on the wrong guys. You know, what's going to be interesting to me is to follow how this ends up happening. I think in this particular case, folks, there's a lot of precedents about executive privilege from the White House. And Steve Bannon there at the end, that wasn't a talking point. That's a fact that is a necessity for every U.S. president. They need to have conversations that are private just so they can talk through all the issues that we face as Americans. I mean, it's a pretty serious stuff out there that we go through. Who's going to work through and get us the real answers? And do we expect whoever we elect to serve in the White House, do we expect them to just automatically be endowed with the perfect answer for anything and everything? No. That's why we have a presidential cabinet to bring people in to head up the different departments that all go into the thought process, the decision-making process of what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and every imaginable situation that we find ourselves. And so, as you heard, obviously Merrick Garland, who is the attorney general, he would never do anything like this, never indict anybody on the other side of the aisle unless he was told to. Who does Merrick Garland answer to? The executive department head, sole authority, one authority, president of the United States. And so Joe Biden had to approve it. If he didn't order it, he had to approve the indictment of Steve Bannon for failing to appear before a congressional committee. So you want to hear a conundrum or two? How about giving you nine examples? The Obama regime blocked or fought congressional subpoenas. You want to hear about those? How about Eric Holder? He was held in contempt, and he refused to provide subpoenaed documents in Fast and Furious. You just heard Steve Bannon allude to it. You know what Fast and Furious was? That was this whole nutty, unbelievable uh, attempt by Eric Holder in the Department of Justice to sell weapons to drug cartels in Mexico so that we could track them. There, there is no, there's no telling how many people died in that case. As a matter of fact, two Americans did. 
They were shot with those same weapons. And Eric Holder, the Attorney General, he was subpoenaed by Congress to appear. He didn't do it. He was subpoenaed by Congress to provide records from the Fast and Furious incident. He refused to do that. That's number one. Number two, Lois Lerner. You remember her? She was the head of that department at the IRS that was supposedly processing the applications for not-for-profit entities, and she was specifically in charge of processing those applications for conservatives. And she was caught purposely not processing them, holding them, keeping them from being enacted. That story leaked out of her office. Congress wanted to bring her before them and have her testify. She refused. Then there was Ben Rhodes. Ben Rhodes was heavily involved in the Iran nuclear deal. He was subpoenaed to appear before Congress. He didn't do it. Obama stopped it. Treasury officials were blocked from testifying on Obamacare subsidies. Obama stopped it. White House refused to allow political director to testify. Again, the White House, Justice Kagan, her Obamacare conflict of interest. She was the solicitor general in the Obama administration before he appointed her as a U.S. Supreme Court justice. And so the Obamacare conflict came up, case filed with the Supreme Court. Normally, any attorney, any judge, would recuse themselves from anything in which they had personal conflict, even potential. She said, I'm going to stick in on this one. Refusal to provide subpoena Solyndra documents. We all know about Solyndra. That was that big boondoggle, half a billion dollars of federal taxpayer money that Obama put together and gave to his buddies in this new solar panel energy company, Solyndra, in California. This was part of his shovel-ready job thing. Half a billion dollars. Don't know where any of it went. Testimony before Congress. Nobody from the White House was allowed. Refusing to let the White House Social Secretary testify on party crasher scandal, that couple that crashed the White House. You remember that? That was a big controversy. Well, the Social Secretary is who should know. She arranged and organized and structured everything. Obama wouldn't let her testify to Congress. In the ninth, fighting subpoenas in the new Black Panther Party voter intimidation investigation. You remember that one? This was shortly after uh, Obama was elected. And the election in question that this happened in was the one in which he was elected back in 2008. It actually happened the year before, or two years before. So it happened in 2006. Outside of a voting precinct in Philadelphia, that precinct was primarily filled with elderly Americans, and that precinct primarily, white people lived there. Well, two Black Panther um, members dressed in full military regalia, they stood out in front of this voting precinct armed, which is legal, intimidating voters, elderly white voters, from coming to that precinct to vote. The Bush administration started doing the investigation of it for voter intimidation, which that is illegal. 
and it was the Bush administration, which means the Bush Department of Justice and the FBI. Obama gets into office, Eric Holder gets into office, and they talk about not continuing that investigation. In fact, subsequently they dropped it. Subpoenas come from Congress. We want these people to come testify. Nope. We're not going to we're not going to comply. So there are nine different times where what they are prosecuting Steve Bannon for doing, it was okay if you're a Democrat. No problem. Have at it. We're going to let you do anything you want to do. This is just one example of how rabid a political party can be and when, for whatever reason or reasons, they gain pretty much total power in government, they can change the face of a nation in just nine months. Look at where we were. Let's throw COVID out of the picture for a minute because we were on the downside. We were getting where we knew we were going to be okay in COVID. All the egregious lockdowns, the the crazy stuff they had us doing, all the people that were put out of work. But we were on the mend before Joe Biden and Kamala Harris took office. And overnight, folks, we went to hell. Our nation went in the tank in pretty much every area of it. And they're still driving it deeper and deeper and deeper. They want us to be at a position as far as possible away from all the good things that we had for the previous four years. And i got to be honest with you, if you will look at the landscape of your life today in almost every area, if not every area, you can't, if you're even remotely honest, you cannot look back at 2016 to 2020 and say, you're not way, way better off then than you are now. And then there's Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, everything about her, just upstanding, everybody loves her, attractive woman of color, long history in California, speckled past, ah, she was a local prosecutor, then she was uh, at the state level, was attorney general in California, ends up getting elected to the U.S. Senate. From there, she becomes running mate for Joe Biden in 2020. She ran for president, incidentally. I don't know if you've forgotten that. Most everybody did, including people in California. She couldn't even poll at the top of the presidential Democrat group of people in California. She couldn't even get above 2%. And she dropped out. That obviously made her ready to serve as vice president. And we won't get into all of the stuff she's done. Because quite honestly, she hadn't done much of anything. But what she has done is the few things that she stuck her nose into have been very divisive, very partisan, and pretty much all of the far-left policies and bills that have been pending, she's been all in for. And she would have if she was still in the U.S. Senate. But it's not just her and her family. Vice President Harris's niece is offering advice for parents. Now listen to this. Her niece is giving advice for parents on how they can teach their kids anti-racism at home if their schools won't do it amid the national debate over the critical race theory ideology. 
Mina Harris wrote a piece that was published in the Washington Post. And in the piece, she accused GOP state, GOP state legislatures of barring educators from discussing racism, equity, and justice in classrooms and complained that even schools in blue states don't have, quote, explicit plans to discuss anti-racism with an audience ready and eager to learn about it. All to say, this is Harris, the niece, all to say public schools have long failed to acknowledge the history and realities of racism. The recent right-wing crusade against critical race theory, a term so frightening its opponents dare not even learn what it means, is the latest manifestation of that deeply rooted trend. VP Harris's niece wrote yesterday, in the face of such daunting challenges, what are parents to do until and unless we see systemic change to properly desegregate our children's schools and unwhitewash the curriculum, we need to fill the gaps ourselves. Harris called for families nationwide to start taking time at home to discuss injustices that shaped our nation's past, the work still to be done in our present, and the values that should define our future. She pointed to kids' bookshelves as a place for parents to start, urging them to seek books about black and brown people. Titles that teach kids to value, not just tolerate, each other's differences are certainly important. But with many of our schools failing to offer a curriculum or environment that combats racism, simply reading representative books to our kids isn't enough, she said. Parents need to share narratives with their kids that are historically accurate and anti-racist. They need to tell stories that say what politicians are afraid to and what so many teachers now can't, that this country was stolen from indigenous people, founded by white supremacists, and built on the backs of enslaved people, and that racism shapes our society to this day. All of that to get to the real meat of what she is all about. All about. This country was stolen from indigenous people, founded by white supremacists, and built on the backs of enslaved people, and that racism shapes our society to this day. And of course, she didn't stop there. This is not going to surprise you. She went on to recommend a children's version of the 1619 Project. You know what that's about. Well, this new, the 1619 Project, Dumbed Down for Kids, is co-authored by Nicole Hannah-Jones, called Born on the Water, as well as Your Legacy by Broadway director Shelley Williams. And Harris said those books offer honest depictions of our nation's racist past and empowering narratives for children of color and can help black and brown kids understand a key tenet of anti-racism from an early age, thinking critically and questioning the status quo. She also recommended parents read the original, The 1619 Project, as part of unlearning our own biases. It's crucial that their white classmates learn about our country's past 
and the ways it informs our presence so they can be strong, anti-racist allies both inside and outside of the classroom, she wrote. Parents and children alike could benefit from cracking open a book like Born on the Water or Your Legacy because far more powerful than any attempt to erase history is a movement of conscious families willing to face it head on. In June, by the way, the vice president's niece defended the teaching of critical race theory in schools. You know what none of them want to speak about when they... Uh, when they try to sell the story, what they don't want to do, they don't want to say, they don't want to admit to, but you can't do what they're saying. What she went around and around in circles in all of this diatribe to say, to try to make it politically acceptable, is this. The only way what they want, the critical race theory advocates want, the only way what they want to happen can happen is if somebody, somewhere, is endowed by somebody else with the sole authority to determine what's right and what's wrong when it comes to race. And it is wrong for anybody to express a dissenting opinion with those other people. And the single determining factor of who gets to be right and who gets to be wrong is one thing. What do you think it is? Your skin color. Your skin color. Did you hear anything in what she said about Asians? Did you hear anything in what she said about people that weren't black or brown? She didn't say anything about those. In other words, the supremacists that they allege, everybody white, was in the founding of the nation. Every single person was a white supremacist. I don't even know if these people have a clue or want to have a clue about what white supremacy really is and what white supremacists really do. It would be almost like them saying, and maybe they are, I don't know. It would almost be like saying that the Black Lives Matter, the group, They're the ones, the only ones that are enlightened. They're the only ones that have the truth. And we need to all just sit down and shut up and listen and implement in our lives everything Black Lives Matter wants to. Well, we could sit here and talk, and we've talked ad nauseum through the last couple of years about what Black Lives Matter is all about and what Black Lives Matter founders very vocally came out and told us that it was. It's a Marxist get together of people that want to reshape the world in their opinion, the way that they want it to happen. And it is top down based upon not just skin color, but it's based upon a combination of skin color and Marxism. And the fallacy that all these people will not speak about. Everybody wants anti-racism to be pervasive in our nation. Nobody Nobody that has half a brain wants racism to exist at all, but it does exist. It's out there. It always has been there. It always will be there as long as there are people who are different. It may not be skin color racism, but if it's not that, it's going to be economic racism, 
between different groups of people, geographical racism. I mean, you can have racism, call it whatever you want to call it, but it's all the same. Acknowledging, without saying it, but acknowledging and pointing out to people who have different opinions than do you. That means one of the groups, in your opinion, would have to be determined to be superior to the other. That, my friends, that philosophy that she explained to us in that diatribe that she wrote, that is the epitome of racism. What she said is racist. Wow. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. about what about Joe's Build Back Better Act? Have you read it yet? <laughs> Don't lie about it. You hadn't read it. You've probably done what I've done. I have looked at the bullet points. I've referred to some people that I really trust to get facts from some of the nuggets that they've been able to pull out of the Build Back Better Act. But just even using the bullet points of it, I come up with way more than $1.75 trillion as the number for the spending bill, Joe's biggest spending bill, $1.75 trillion. The Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, uh, they agree with me, folks. They released their analysis of this reconciliation infrastructure bill, and we need to leave the term infrastructure out of it. There is not one thing in it that pertains to the uh, historical definition of infrastructure. It's social, um, uh, what do I want to say it? Rebuilding, social, uh, doing away with our former lives as Americans and replacing it with all kinds of new social structure. Democrats, well, they scaled down the cost of the legislation. Originally, it was $3.5 trillion, at least what that, that's what they told us. We had no idea because we didn't see what they had in the original, and they told us, hey, everybody, we cut it in half. We really want to do the right thing, $1.75 trillion. And they did that simply to placate the concerns of moderate Democrats like 
Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia. But guess what, folks? You'll probably be shocked to hear this. Democrats' marquee legislation, it uses what's called policy sunsets and expirations to hide the fact that the cost is way more than $1.75 trillion. You want me to explain it to you? Listen closely to this. The Build Back Better Act relies on a number of arbitrary sunsets and expirations to lower the official cost of the bill on the surface. These include extending the American Rescue Plan's child tax credit increase and the earned income tax credit expansion for one year, setting universal pre-K and child care subsidies to expire after six years, making the Affordable Care Act expansions available through 2025, delaying the requirement that businesses amortize research and experimentation costs until 2026, and setting several other provisions from targeted tax credits to school lunch programs to expire prematurely. Now, what does all this mean? Well, the committee contended if these policy sunsets were made permanent and other measures made permanent, which if they get these passed, listen closely, you can bet your bippy that's what they'll do. If they keep control, they'll make these things that have an expiration date in the original bill. They'll come back and say, ah, we're going to make those permanent. If and when they do that, it would add $2.5 trillion. That would make the total cost of the bill above $4.9 trillion. This includes permanent extensions of the increase in the child tax credit. The state and local tax, that's the biggie, the relief there. SALT, that's the one where the very, very wealthy on the east and west coast can deduct hundreds of thousands of dollars in state taxes and mortgage expense. The Build Back Better Act relies on a substantial amount of short-term policies and arbitrary sunsets to reduce its cost, raising the possibility of deficit-financed extensions in years way ahead. A more robust and physically responsible package would not rely on these gimmicks to achieve deficit neutrality. Senator Manchin, he's a Democrat, but he's a conservative Democrat. He's raised concerns over how this bill could worsen our lives and our living standards in the middle of soaring inflation. He said this, by all accounts, the threat posed by record inflation to the American people is not transitory and is instead getting worse every day. From the grocery store to the gas pump, Americans know the inflation tax is real. And D.C. can no longer ignore the economic pain that Americans feel every day. Bait and switch. That's what they do. Bait and switch. And there's a big reason why in these massive omnibus bills that they put out there, they never give them to us. They start talking about them usually months in advance. Oh, here's what's in it. And they give us this laundry list that is, it includes all kinds of things that sound really cool. But in fact, the reality is everything they ever say that we're going to invest in is little more than taking our record-setting federal tax revenue dollars. You do know that. 
that in spite of everything, all those tax cuts, the Trump tax cuts, you know, they told us it was going to break us. The government couldn't function. We were going to lose all that tax revenue, giving us and companies all of the tax breaks that we got. The federal revenue, tax revenue, tax dollars paid by American companies and the American people has been higher than ever before in American history. And so what does that mean? Oh, the Democrats sit out there, they rub their hands together and say, oh my gosh, we not only want to spend all that, we want to go borrow a bunch more because we're we're seeing our record revenue go up. It'll go up in future years to pay for all of this debt. We just know that it will trust us. There's other stuff in this spending bill. It would drop a component of the child tax credit program that could lead to billions in payout to illegal immigrants. How do I know that? Well, it's tucked away. Let me give you the page number, 1647. Page 1647 of the Build Back Better Act is a provision that would repeal the Social Security number requirement that is necessary to obtain child tax credits. Now, what would this do? Well, it would expand child tax credits to parents of illegal immigrants who don't have Social Security numbers. Stephen Camerata, a Center for Immigration Studies researcher, estimated that eliminating the requirement could result in up to $2.3 billion in additional child tax credit payouts to these illegals. Illegal immigrants are able to receive benefits on behalf of their U.S.-born children right now, but the permanent elimination of the Social Security number requirement means that even illegals whose kids are also illegally here, can get those cash payments, including the roughly 600,000 unaccompanied minors and persons in family units that were stopped at the border in fiscal year 2021 and released. Camerata also estimates an $8.2 billion payout from the expanded child tax credits to illegal immigrants with U.S.-born kids, So in addition to dropping the Social Security number requirement, receipt of that money for illegals is made all the easier because reconciliation also eliminates the work requirement for next year. In the past, some illegals who worked off the books sometimes had trouble showing employment income, but now that won't be a problem. Nobody will care. In 2021, the American Rescue Plan increased the maximum child tax credits from 2000 to $3,600 per child under 6, and from 2000 to 3000 for kids ages 6 to 17. This new proposal extends those numbers through 2022. And of course, that's before, and you know this would happen if Democrats maintain control, they're going to make those permanent. Working families currently get the full credit if they make up to one hundred fifty grand for a couple or $112,500 for a family with just one parent. Families who did not make enough to be required to file taxes are also eligible for the credits. The work requirement, this new legislation, gone. And that's a really big problem for Senator Joe Manchin and a bunch of other Democrats, thank God. 
Manchin said, I believe government should be your best partner, but it shouldn't be your provider. We have a moral obligation to provide for those who have incapacity, such as physical or mental, but everyone else should be able to help and chip in. Manchin said that's his mindset. The child tax credit extensions are not related to the Biden administration's floated idea of payouts to illegal immigrant families separated at the border. That's a whole nother separate debacle. There are plenty of things to go around. You want to hear about a few more? Spending cliff is going to raise long-term costs. What's that about? Well, over and above these individual budget gimmicks we've been telling you about, the bill's entire premise is a budget gimmick itself. It would use permanent tax increases to pay for temporary spending. Democrats already want to make permanent. Consider the short nature of the major programs included in the bill. Well, the child tax credit, extended through 2022 only, enhanced Obamacare subsidies and expanded eligibility for subsidies in states that didn't expand Medicaid to the able body, that's extended through 2025. Federal child care and preschool, three years of relatively modest spending, $4 billion, $6 billion, and $8 billion, followed by three years of much higher spending. And then there's a sunset on the program. Eliminating these sunsets, as Democrats want, that would substantially raise the cost of their agenda way more than the $1.75 trillion they're telling about. Number two, the SALT math. The bill only has gimmicks on the spending side, but it uses gimmicks on the tax side as well. The language that Pelosi put in the bill is going to lift the cap on the tax deduction for state and local taxes paid on, you know, real estate and then on any other kind of state and local taxes that people pay in. Current law allows individuals to write off just 10 grand worth of those SALT tax write-offs on their federal tax forms now through 2025. The bill would raise that amount, $10,000 cap, to a paltry $80,000, but extend that higher cap through 2030, lowering it back to the 10000 in 2031. So why would they do that? They want the money. They want to give those opportunities to their voters, their campaign contributors. I mean, think about the leverage that would give a Democrat to walk into somebody that gave you, maybe they just gave you 2000 or 3000 or 4000 and they can walk in and say, hey, 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 you know that 10000 the max that you were going to be able to write off for your state and local taxes you paid? I got the bill passed to raise that to 80000 That means an additional about $40,000 in your pocket. I need you to make a bigger donation to me for my campaign going forward. Well, you can't give somebody. There are limits, maximums you can give to candidates for a campaign. Well, they have PACs, political action committees, and super PACs that you can give them pretty much all you want. And they're going to turn around and give it to the candidate of your choice. And then there's another one in this thing, audit provision that violates budgetary scorekeeping. What's that about? While the White House claims that what it wants to do is increase funding for the IRS 
and that doing so will generate $400 billion in new revenue? The CBO, Congressional Budget Office, concluded earlier this year that new IRS funding will lead to a net revenue increase of only $120 billion. Also, as the CBO said back in September, budgetary conventions prohibit scorekeepers from recognizing any financial benefits from increased funding for anti-fraud efforts in the scoring of bills like this new, big, Democrat plan, whatever you want to call it. Now, the bill generates savings. This is interesting. I bet your ears perked up. How are they going to do that? By repealing a rule regarding prescription drug pricing rebates of the Trump administration. CBO and the Medicare actuary concluded the rule would raise Medicare spending, meaning that its repeal would save money, at least in theory. But the rule hasn't gone into effect. And it won't ever go into effect given process flaws leading up to its issuance and a legal challenge based on those procedural flaws. Additionally, Democrats have unofficially said they don't want the rule to go into effect. But the Biden administration won't withdraw the rebate rule officially because Democrats want the phony savings that comes from Congress repealing a rule that Biden has no intention of moving ahead with. And in the plan, they're going to double-count Medicare taxes. (laughs) When issuing a proposal to raise taxes on certain corporations, they're called S-corporations, earlier this year, the Treasury claimed the tax increase would deposit new revenues into Medicare's hospital insurance trust fund. Democrats may attempt to frame this proposal, which is a version that was included in the bill, as extending Medicare's Solvency, like anybody believes that Medicare is solvent right now. Solvent would mean for every dime they pay out, they've got that much money in the bank and they've got enough in the bank to pay it out next year and the year after. That's not the case. They've raided the Medicare trust fund numerous times in Congress to spend elsewhere. But during the Obamacare debate, Congressional Budget Office and the Medicare Actuary both debunked this double counting. CBO noted that because the Medicare reductions were being used to fund the new Obamacare entitlements, just as the Medicare tax increases are being used to fund new entitlements in this year's Democrat bill, the IOUs placed in the Medicare Trust Fund would not enhance the ability of the government to pay for future Medicare benefits. In short, what that means is it won't pay the bill. This qualifies as hypocrisy as much as a gimmick. Biden knows very well about the Treasury proposal to raise taxes on S-corporations incorporated into the legislation. How does he know? The past four years, he and his wife have exploited the loophole the House bill would close to avoid paying nearly $517,000 in payroll taxes themselves. They've used a loophole. Hmm. Groups as disparate as the Tax Policy Center and the Congressional Research Service have raised questions about this whole thing. You add all this up, folks. The legislation doesn't begin to pay for its 
myriad of programs in any fiscally responsible way, not even close. There's no way it can happen. Moderate Democrats in the House and Senate should use the full CBO score, the whole thing, coupled with recent reports about skyrocketing inflation, to stick a fork in this overstuffed fiscal turkey once and for all. If they pass any version of this thing, folks, I don't care. I'm not talking about the whole thing. Yeah, it's full of crud. And we certainly can't afford to do it. We cannot afford to do it. So let me just end on this note. I want you to hear this from NBC about our record high prices and what NBC, the way they are coaching the way that we Americans are handling these massive inflation numbers, nobody knows where they're going to stop. We're already at a 31-year high. Listen to this report. You say inflation's over 6%, numbers we haven't seen in more than 30 years. So how much higher can these prices go, and when do you see them coming down? Well, listen, Willie, nobody knows exactly when they're going down, but you have to put all this in perspective. This inflation is not in isolation, and the government predicted it was going to be a challenging recovery, recovery all tied to covid So it's why you see things like that expanded child tax credit. You've got the families of over 60 million kids on average getting $430 a month for people on fixed incomes, older people on Social Security. They're getting those fixed payments adjusted next year up 5.9 percent for inflation. And the dirty little secret here, Willie, while nobody likes to pay more, on average, we have the money to do so. Household savings hit a record high over the pandemic. We didn't really have anywhere to go out and spend. And as we said a moment ago, we're expecting retail sales this holiday season to break records. For those who own their homes, the value of our homes are up. And while the stock market isn't the economy, you got over half of American households with some investment in the markets, and the markets have hit record highs. So we need to put all of this in perspective. This time last year, when you and I were talking, Willie, nobody had a vaccine. Now, 200 million Americans do, and we're seeing this push of demand, and that's pushing up pricing. What a great explanation. You don't need, you don't have the right to worry about paying $5 for a gallon of gas. How dare you? We know, as the president said, and we played it for you yesterday, hey, Americans got way more money, a lot more money. We know that. We gave them $1,400. Wow. And for these lower economical families, we're giving them this massive amount of child tax money. We're sending them checks. I mean, $300 a month. My goodness, that with... $1,400 that we gave you six months ago, you're rolling in the dough. What they don't want to even talk about is the fact that when you go to the grocery store, the same basket that cost you $40 two years ago cost you $80 today. A can of Campbell's soup that was, what, 60 cents a year ago is two bucks in some cities right now. And examples could go on and on and on and on. But you got to quit griping about inflation. You're not being a realist. Things are so much better now. This is all because of COVID. Everybody had to quit work because of COVID. And we couldn't. The government made them quit. 
the government shut them down, and so we had to give them money to live on. And that's what we did. And you've got to be thankful. This is not about employment. Well, hey, lady, where's the reality of the 10 million jobs that are open and there are no Americans to go fill them because you did give them money. You gave them massive unemployment benefits at the federal level to extend far past the state level's of unemployment insurance that they were going to receive and they figured out a way to take what they're getting from the government and make it work. Why should they go back to work? 10 million jobs. They're being very unrealistic about this folks. Cause you and I both know this can't stay. It can't function this way and it won't. We're looking at some really bad economic times. It's going to happen. It's probably already underway. We just haven't seen it yet. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita. What them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here are the smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an, uh-huh, feature for long, rambling stories. So then I gave him $5, and he said I only gave him $1. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the $1 right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. George Orwell said freedom is the right to tell someone what they don't want to hear. Today, that's called the truth. At truthnewsnet.org. Here's Dan Newman. Well, well, well. What a day. What a day. We had a great one here today. 
Got some news and information about TNN Live. Listen closely. We will not air a show tomorrow, Wednesday. We will not air TNN Live, a show tomorrow on Wednesday, November 17th. The reason being, it's medical purposes. I'm going back to Central Texas for a back procedure tomorrow. Don't worry, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal, but it's not that big a deal. We'd appreciate your prayers. We'll be back in the saddle on Thursday. But just because there's not a TNN Live show tomorrow, Truth News Network's not going away and not going to sleep. Make sure you look at what's posted as our lead story tomorrow. I could I could just whet your appetite, but I'm not going to tell you anything. It's a great one. So don't miss that story. And of course, appreciate you being in prayers for me. When you think about me, um, say a prayer. I'm going to be fine. I'm not that worried about it. I just don't like the fact I've got to go to Central Texas to get it done. (laughs) But we're going to be fine. Thank you so much for being here, for supporting us. Two and a half million of you read yesterday's story. That's a big deal. Have a great one. I'll see you in person on Thursday. Fallen hard upon the thirsty ground I carved the way to where the wild and rushing river can be found And like the rain, I have been carried here To where the river flows Yeah My heart is racing And my knees are weak as I walk to the edge I know there is no turning back Once my feet have left the ledge And in the rush, I hear a voice It's telling me it's time to take the lead